Mr. Besmianov was born in 1939 in a suburb of Moscow. He was the son of a high-ranking Soviet Army officer. He was educated in the elite schools inside the Soviet Union and became an expert in Indian culture and Indian languages. He had an outstanding career with Novosti, which was the, and still is, I should say, the press arm or the press agency of the Soviet Union. It turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system, and he did this at great risk to his life. He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. We spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interest of defending themselves, their families, their community and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, actually it's overfulfilled because demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would would even dream of such a tremendous success most of it is done by americans to americans thanks to lack of moral standards as i mentioned before uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore a person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information the facts tell nothing to him uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his balls, then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption, whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials, economy, foreign relations, defense systems. 
Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense and economy, uh, the influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression for, from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis, to promise people all kinds of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C. with uh, benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. Your leftists in the United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are not they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. But they may turn into the most bitter enemies of Marxist-Leninists when they come to power. And that's what happened in Nicaragua. You remember most of these uh, former Marxist-Leninists were either put to prison or one of them split and now he's working against Sandinistas. It happened in, in uh, uh, Grenada when Maurice Bishop was, he was already a Marxist. He was executed by, by a new Marxist who was more Marxist than this Marxist. Same happened in Afghanistan when uh, first there was Taraki, he was killed by Amin, then Amin was killed by Babrak Karman with the help of KGB. Same happened in, in Bangladesh when Mujibur Rahman, very pro-Soviet leftist, was assassinated by his own Marxist-Leninist military comrades. It's the same pattern everywhere. Points that he mentioned when it came to demoralization, um, uh, in, uh, the, the spread of misinformation. I mean, this is this is real and it's happening. Um, <clears throat> so I wanted to play that as a lead off to today's discussion, uh, as to because there's a number of topics that I wanted to talk about, but the most important, and I'm going to pull it up since it's a little bit long. I wanted to, I wrote it out beforehand. Um, so because we live in a secular society. Uh, we as Muslims, we agree to follow the rule of the land. and But the rule of the land, especially as you move more left, affords you personal liberties. These liberties, when they're exercised, could be opposed by to the Sharia, and in the view of a Muslim, a detriment to society. For example, homosexual marriage or premarital sex. And as we move into a future that is more and more 
left-leaning, perhaps, how do we hold on to our values as an ummah while simultaneously living in this culture? Because the answer often isn't perform hijrah because we li- we do live in a global monoculture and this isn't a this isn't just as a, a necessarily an american problem and so this this sort of stuff is happening everywhere and there are core tenets of the deen that we can't sacrifice otherwise we lose what it means to be a muslim so what do you do when there is clear opposition to those principles in the mainstream narrative and culture mm-hmm. should you hide your beliefs should you give dawah and as we enter this election cycle, this is what many people are thinking about. This is what uh, what's on a lot of people' mind, a lot of people's minds. How do we reconcile our belief systems with the mainstream narrative? Currently, it's only LGBT or marriage or gender. I mean, tomorrow it could be, for example, pagan worship to a state entity. Um, so I'd like to start our episode off there. And, and before I do that, I will be in a shaitan regime. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi wa salam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the Safina Society podcast. Uh, today we are joined uh, by Dr. Chadi, myself, Moin, uh, Ilyas Lahoz, and we have another guest on today, uh, Ismail Al Khatib. Um, so today, uh, I'd like to open the floor to you guys after this brief introduction. Uh, go ahead, Dr. Shelley. Why don't you take it well, off? Well, when you have a game plan, you have to plan game plan for something as um, you know broad, maybe chaotic, and undetermined. In other words, that we don't know where this is going. Okay, specifically, then you have to keep it simple. Sayyidina al-Imam al-Haddad, he says, in times of hardship, the human being's best recourse is to go back to what he knows. Right, and that could be obviously for good or bad. But as a philosophy, people go back to what they know. When we're met with instability, we want stability. So for us, obviously, it's going back to what our salaf have always been upon, and that's the foundations of our deen. And rather than being cute and trying something new, it's not the time to be cute or try something new. It's the time to go back to our fundamentals and our foundations. And those fundamentals, foundations, tend to be your your household life, your family life. And the Quran, right? And the um, you know, and then and then our manuals of doctrine and law, and just sticking to them as much as possible. At the same time, you don't want to just be a rigid block. You have to ch- learn how to benefit from the trial that you're about to face, right? However, which which that's a second order thinking. The first response, though, has to be that a regular Muslim, when he sees uh, which. You talk about demoralization, destabilization, crisis. I feel like that we're we're. You can probably argue that we're facing that. It's to go back uh, to reestablish the foundations before ever thinking of let's analyze this beast and benefit from it. The first step, I think, for the common Muslim, and we're talking about your common Muslim family. That's our target audience, right? It's not some you know anything else besides your common regular Muslim is. It's always going back to foundations. You know, that's what I think about like on a daily basis. Get back to the the the, the funds and strengthen the foundation of people's emotional well-being and their beliefs. Right? And that's going to feed to their mind. Once their mind is clean and clear, then you could start analyzing and taking advantage of a situation like jujitsu. I think uh riding on that, what I see now is 
from a from a more political perspective is we do see a lot of information warfare um so i'm really you know interested in the idea of i've always been interested in the idea of how technology influences our decisions right and and especially when it comes to this election cycle and we saw it in 2016 as well you know people are severely influenced by technology um the the things that you watch the things that you see what what you know, what things that, so for example, the more, for example, right-leaning I am, the more right-leaning media is going to be presented to me, whether it's, you know, through YouTube recommendations, you know, what WhatsApp groups I'm in. And so the same thing happens on, on the left, right? And and you do see two Americas sort of playing out, right? There's two Americas that exist. There's people who have absolutely no idea what happens on the right side. There's people who have absolutely no idea that what happens on the left side. And Muslims as an entity are really, for us, it's, you know, how do we maintain ourselves? I, I, you know, I don't think any Muslim is like, oh, I want to be right or I want to be left. It's really, you know, how do we, you know, stay as Muslims and, and which side is going to, you know, allow us to succeed in the long term, right? And, and, and I actually want to think that both, you know, even the sort of left-leaning Muslims are being sincere, and so are the right-leaning Muslims, right? It's it's really just how do we further our own cause, whether it's with allying with whatever side is is more correct. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that. I know Alex raised his hand. Yeah, so uh, what I was going to say is that I don't think that the solution is, lies on either side. You know, which side is going to benefit us more? I, I don't think that, and this is going to run contrary to what most people feel, um, but I honestly don't think that political participation is going to benefit us as a collective group at all. In fact, the whole idea of us having a collective, um, of us moving collectively on politics, I think is a mistake. Uh, first of all, it requires people to uh, have some, submit to some kind of central authority, uh, some kind of central group, some kind of leadership panel or something that's going to guide our political aspirations or our political moves, right? And that's not going to happen for this Ummah in America. Muslims in America are not going to unify uh, underneath some, below some kind of umbrella group that's going to make those kind of decisions for us. And if we were to, if we somehow got together and decided that we were going to go with any of the umbrella groups that exist, I think it would be an, a categorical disaster anyway. Um, you know, there's a strong argument to be made for uh, being in the shade of power rather than trying to be uh, directly involved or influencing or influenced by power right there's a there's a and i i'll say that i, I take this with a grain of salt and i know that it's hyper it's hyperbolic but there's an argument made that like the serfs um actually had more freedom than the bourgeoisie right because they didn't have to involve themselves with power politics at all they grew their food they were poor but they actually had more personal freedom, more individual freedom to make decisions for their family, for their uh, spiritual life, for uh, their communities, their small communities, than the people who were actually involved in the centers of power. The people who had more wealth actually ended up having less autonomy and less actual freedom. I saw Ismail had his hand up. Yeah, so to Alex's point, I definitely agree. Having a centralized authority um, in the United States, it's going to be for the Muslim uh, largely because the Muslim community is also not a monolith in the sense that there's a variety of issues that are important to certain groups of Muslims that are not necessarily as important to other groups of Muslims, both within foreign policy and domestic policy. Um, but the other important thing is 
the question should be asked of what is you know mine like you were saying the right right leaning muslim versus a left leaning muslim what is exactly a right leaning muslim you know or what is a left leaning muslim what are you uh, talking about somebody who's more conservative and practicing versus somebody who isn't? Are we talking about somebody who identifies more with the Republican Party versus somebody who identifies with uh, Democrats or progressives? I, these are uh, complete, you know, different things, right? If I, I, could, I could be a conservative Muslim and not identify at all with the, uh, you know, with right wing, right party. Most Muslims don't, um, and we, as we shouldn't. Um, and likewise on the on the on the other side as well. So there needs to be some kind of um you know understanding of where we, we don't need to necessarily stand with any particular side completely um or at all for that matter but um there needs to be an understanding of what exactly uh is the issue that we find why do we find issues with with each side and how do we position ourselves like the which is the main question of this of this episode is how do we kind of navigate ourselves through these uh, you know different political spectrums it's definitely a good question you know and and my initial when i initially said it i really meant from a political perspective rather than a you know religious perspective when it comes to religion i i personally and this is these are my views but i personally don't believe in in a right or a left there's the truth and and no truth so um so you know, you're you're either you know following the hawk or you're not following the hawk, right? So you know whether you're you know a left leaning Muslim. I mean, you're not you're not less of a you know less of. I mean, an a a, a fasik is not a you know a left leaning Muslim. That's just a fasik, right? Uh, a, mm. um, but I meant from a a, a more uh, uh, political perspective, right? Aligning with. Uh, let's say democratic values on the left republican values on the right um and and that's become like a, a global monoculture right this just i'm just using this as a using both of those parties as, as talking points but really i just mean you know the it's what's become associated with uh, in in uh today's language alex, alex. I, I i think in fairness um i don't think that the american model of democrat and republican is actually what you see globally um you're probably what right. we have in America right. is basically one party that has uh, two different wings, right? But our party is basically the vote Democratic election, Republican system of government, and I'm using those small d and small r, right? Not to represent the parties, but the, the actual systems that we have, and uh, support corporations, uh, support wars around the world, expansionist imperialism. Like that's both parties. That describes yep. both parties 100%. There's no, there's no real difference from them on those. Where the differences really come in are mainly on social issues and on how you frame taxation and, and, and the size of the government. Although the Republicans actually have no claim on small government and lower taxation, even though that's what they, that's what they run on. They actually are not low tax and small government either. So really we have one party that, different, that the difference Donald Trump aside, outlier candidates aside, the real differences between the Republicans and the Democrats are minuscule and they relate mainly to social issues, which you can see in, in this election cycle by the number of uh, neocons who were originally leftist Marxists, then became Republicans uh, during the, the Iraq war years and are now 
uh, Republicans for Biden. That's actually what they're calling themselves, right? They're, <laughs> mm-hmm. they're a bunch of Republicans. They've switched back since the Bush years to the Democratic Party um, because they're all that they really care about is wars of expansion and 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 the U.S. using the military to support Israel. So I think that I think that our party system is actually very different from what you see in places like Europe, right. where you have real leftists, you have real green parties, you have real you have real fascist parties, you have real hardcore conservative nationalist parties. Here we just have like people that accuse each other of that when really they're they're just one party with some small differences. Uh, and I would also say what Moeen you had said earlier and and off the off the podcast is that uh, the right way to do this is to drive what we believe rather than react to what's presented around us, right? Absolutely. And only the loser losing mentality allows itself to get framed. In other words, to be placed into a category. So are, what kind of, are you right? Well, what is right and left? Like, why are you dictating it? Well, it's agree. right. No matter how big and popular something is, it's your choice to get dictated or not, right? And what we have to drive is, not necessarily even political views, but epistemic views. It's far more important because political view results from, it's almost like legal, legal matters, right? Legal matters stem from methodologies. Methodologies stem from epistemologies. And if we go to the root of epistemology of what is true and what is the source of truth, all of a sudden you find yourself you know, in a much different discussion and that's our ballgame, right? If you get into a political arena, a Muslim will be lost in the, it's not his ballgame in that, in this context. Okay. But if you get it, because it's not, it's not our ballgame because the epistemology is so different, right? And there, you're going to come up with an idea that's so impractical. You get laughed out of the room. Like someone would say the Muslim party or an Islamic platform, you would just get laughed out of the room because it's so impractical. But if we, transition this and take like a high ground maneuver let's go back to the root of how decisions are made and how what what is true and what is false that's that's totally our ball game right i mean our scholars have looked at that from from hundreds of years and we have that down set and anytime that we've had students like passing through nbic or safina society and they and they go through that and that's the type of discussion that we have they end up coming to the right conclusions in terms of political matters because the epistemology is set right the track is set right and therefore you become through the, your islamic framework becomes what drives with the tracks as opposed to being driven and making having to choose am i right or am i left etc cetera, etc cetera. The, the problem is though you don't really get to conversations like epistemology when you're talking to you know common lay people and i consider myself a common lay person right when when i'm talking to my friends or family you're not going to get into the roots of epistemology let's say even a, a non-muslim coworker right all all it really unfortunately the the situation has now become that you discuss one issue and it could be like any fringe issue nowadays right automatically you become associated to a certain type of group and that group is either right leaning or left leaning and it's just like oh you know you you believe in god it's like oh you're voting for trump <laughs> yeah. right or some some silly thing this is just an example like, this is a silly thing but uh it, it it doesn't really get down to things like epistemology now we've we've entered like the 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 world of just you know just just outright just 
everything is about like, you know, just outrage, right? You're outraged at this or you're outraged at that. And so everything is very emotionally charged too, right? It's not, you're not just, when you start talking about like homosexuality, for example, right? If you're any, if you have any negative views against homosexuality, you're almost automatically deemed as this, you know, right-wing bigot, uh, and and the, and the and the reverse also happens from a liberal position, right? If you talk to you know a uh, you, you talk about a more abortion and you say that hey I'm I'm pro choice and I believe that the government shouldn't be involved in people's decisions immediately it's like oh you know you you approach you you're 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 this you're this type of supporter and you're, we're gonna group you into this entire group and that's how folks like myself, just lay people, that's how the discussions are happening. It's very emotionally charged. Epistemology, people don't even know what that is, right? Like <laughs> That that means that this demoralization is completely successful that the KGB guy talked about, where truth and facts don't sway your opinion at all. Discussion doesn't occur. And you're either, you know, one switch or the other. It's like you're on team red or team blue, right? With, uh, but I, I do think though, if you engage youth like the way we we do um, it, through learning circles, they do think, right? And they do contemplate and they do break out of these. They might be in the minority. Ismail, you had something to say? Yeah, and to that point of, of there being a lack of nuance uh, in discussions, this is very true in, in many uh, circles. Um, However, I think th this is also uh, very much a problem within our Muslim community in the way we also view, you know, these, you know, these I these ideas, right? Um, you know, you mentioned homosexuality, you mentioned uh, abortion, and you know, there's this uh, understanding within the Muslim community, for example, that um, people are just having abortions left and right. They're having sex and then having abortion and then going back the next day and doing it again and have it. And that, for example, that, you know, and this is, this is not really the case at all. And for example, there was, there was also a mention uh, in the last episode of uh, late term abortions, which is again, not really a thing that occurs um, on a mass scale. Um, more than 98%, 99% of abortions are happening within the first trimester, much of those, within the first two trimesters, the vast majority of those in the first trimester. Um, again, what does that mean from an Islamic perspective? That's that's a different conversation. But again, framing the conversation within a certain context, being honest about the way we frame these conversations so that we don't lose our integrity uh, in these debates, right? Um, you know, we know that, like I said, when it comes to abortions, we know that Islam with obviously with caveats, allows abortions up until four months, which is where the vast majority of abortions even here in the U.S. happens. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, things that need to be put in a proper context before we, uh, you know, start making claims about babies being ripped out at eight and nine months, which is not really what's happening. Um, same thing with framing the left as a um, uh, a group that the crux of their debate is homosexuality and abortion. If you look to the progressive left, we're not talking about uh, the Democratic Party establishment boards, but if you look to the progressive left, people who supported uh, candidates like Bernie Sanders, even more left than that, the main argument that they have are economic issues, not social issues. Of course, social issues are a big thing for them, but the main thing, the center of their, um, uh, what they argue 
are economic issues, you know, fighting against, for example, excessive capitalism, um, things like healthcare for everybody, uh, universal basic income, hiring minimum wage. These are, this is the crux of their argument, right? It's not that, again, gay marriage was passed several years ago. So this is not the crux of their debate anymore, right? Likewise with um, with abortion, is it something that they that they uh, you know fight for more liberal laws on abortion? Absolutely, but that's not the crux of their argument. And so, when we look at Muslims as Muslims, when we look at these issues, we need to take from these ideas what falls under the fold of Islam, right? We, if you look at Islamic history all the way dating back even to the time of Abu Bakr salam and the way he governed, this was he governed as a welfare state. He governed. Omar uh, governed as a welfare state. There was guaranteed basic income for people under Omar's time. Every man, woman, and child got guaranteed basic income. Sayyidina Omar gave guaranteed universal income for everybody. During a famine, during Sayyidina Omar's time, he rationed the food for everybody and made sure that everybody, and he tested, he actually assigned somebody to test what is the basic amount of food that somebody needs to survive in a month. And they went and got some wheat and tried it out and made food with it and said, this is how much it yields, right? And they said, okay, this is what we're going to give per month for everybody. These are um, social policies, really. These are not um, things that are foreign to Islam that we should be standing against. We could stand okay. against certain social issues, but this is, you know, to, we have to understand and frame the argument in a certain context that, you know, not we can't frame socialism as a, you know, Leninist or Marxist movement, these are uh, far cries from what socialism actually is or democratic socialism in the U.S. Okay, so, so in, in terms of the framing, I, I agree with you that we should frame things properly, 100%, and straw manning of the other side is never useful. In fact, the best way to, to make a solid argument is to make the best argument for your opponent possible and then address that. Um, you know, just to, to, to go in the order of the, in reverse order of some of the things that you said. So the, the thing about uh, providing... Uh, for people during a famine or even people who are in need that's fine i don't think that people who disagree with that from from a muslim perspective are talking necessarily about should poor people be taken care of the question is where do you get the funds from that right so it's one thing to say you have uh zakat which is ordained by allah in the quran nobody has a problem with it and if done correctly it should be it should be able to provide for the needs of the state a small state and it should be able to provide for the needs of the poor in society but when you're talking about doing it by means of, well, you're very wealthy, so we're just going to take whatever you have, or we're going to take a lot of what you have. Or if when you have people who are middle class and saying, we're going to tax you at a double digit percentage of your income before you even get to touch the money. doesn't matter that you might have needs, that you might have extended family that you need to take care of, that our tax, our levels of taxation are going to put you in a bad place. So I think the issue that, if we're framing it correctly, the issue that people object to is not helping the poor it's where does those funds come from are they being taken from people and i'll use a, a, a real world example um and i know anecdotal examples aren't always good but this is a real world example i know someone from an immigrant family um came to america worked hard in high school got good grades worked hard in college went on to an ivy league uh graduate program went on to a, a medical program after that um had to pay a lot of money because his family wasn't wealthy so he paid a lot of money either through loans or through making the payments um, worked really hard to build up his business. He is uh, he's a surgeon. He's an independent business. He makes a lot of money. What a lot of people would say, way more than a person deserves. Who deserves, you know, whatever it is, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a year? But he does deserve it. 
he earned it. He worked hard. He 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 didn't take from anyone else. He he did it on his own, right? With with Allah's decree. Um, should that man be having to pay above forty percent of his income to help out other people? If he does it voluntarily, fantastic. But should he be paying it? And by the way, the thing is, when the government takes it, whether it's Bernie Sanders or any of the politicians we have now, it's not going to go to the poor people directly. It's going to pass through a huge bureaucracy. And a lot of that money is going to end up in the bureaucracy and being wasted. And if we're talking about the United States, a lot of that money is going to end up bombing people in other countries. That's where a lot of the money is going to end up. So the, the issue, if, since we're framing it, is, is the issue is how are you taxing people? Where are you getting the money? The idea of providing for the poor, 100%, Muslims should want to do that. But the issue is, is it halal to take someone else's wealth against their will above the amount that Allah has prescribed and above the amount that that person feels personally able to, to, to give? Um, in terms of the abortion issue, yes, you're right. So 1% of uh, abortions or less even are late-term abortions. You know how many abortions happen because of rape or incest? Less than half a percent. So both sides are taking the, the most extreme examples and saying, this is what's at stake. Women who are raped and women who are victims of incest and children who are victims of incest won't be able to have abortions. That's an even smaller percentage than the amount of women who uh, have late-term abortions. So I think we have to frame these things properly. Also, uh, I just need to say that you, you said that uh, Islam allows with some, with some uh, caveats up to four months. That's some. That's the Hanafi position, I believe, but it's not across the board Islamically. Some some scholars say, once the once the the uh, once there's implantation, it's a life. Some go to forty days, and some go as far as far as one hundred and twenty. Mm. Yeah, and so to the last point, I, sh I should have uh, clarified. Yes, this is the Hanafi position, um, but the, the the point stands being that it is uh, uh, in. in uh, something that exists within the Al-Sunnah al jamaah So the point that I was trying to make there is that this is not outside of what's considered uh, Islamic or legal within Islamic jurisprudence. Um, to the point of um, taxation, um, again, many of these programs uh, can easily be funded through taxation. The U.S. Uh, military budget alone uh, has a significantly larger budget than any of the other programs in U.S. government. Um, you know, obviously... It's, it's a reach to think that you would be able to convince um, politicians to siphon any of that money over to any of the other programs. Um, when I, I'm speaking um, from a theoretical standpoint, obviously, um, because obviously we know that there's, it's, a very, it's a huge uphill challenge to get taxes to be distributed correctly um, in the U.S. government. But that being said, the people that are calling for higher tax, taxation are not particularly calling it on those who make 400 grand a year or 500 grand a year, this is on the highest uh, levels of society. We're talking about, um, you know, a wealth tax, which is for every um, million dollars that you make over $10 million, right? Um, you should, there should be a high tax on it, things like that. Um, if you see the amount of wealth that's within the top 1% within among people who have more than $10 million and you see the amount of wealth, I mean, the, the, the top 0.1%, you know, as, as you might have heard uh, Bernie Sanders, you know, say a thousand times, they have significantly more wealth than the bottom 50% of America. Now you're talking about who, who deserves to have that much wealth, not them, right? Because th this is done at the exploitation of laborers, at the exploitation of people who don't get enough benefits, 
they don't get paid enough. They don't get um, uh, any kind of you know proper compensation for their for their work, right? Um, somebody like Jeff Bezos, somebody like uh, any of these major CEOs, at the point that they are in their lives now, they are not impactful enough within their company, within their organization, to still be making that kind of money. If uh, Jeff Bezos were to die, if uh, we, we've seen with Steve Jobs, he, he died. The company didn't collapse. The company still makes the same amount of money, maybe even more, because now they're all they're thinking about is they're not thinking about vision anymore. They're thinking about profits, right? Because it's not their company. Now they're making the same or more amount of money. Another thing to put in perspective: we're talking. You're talking about taxing people higher than what was ordained by Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. The issue here is you have a 35% corporate tax, and the the majority of Fortune 500 companies did not pay even remotely close to that amount. The uh, it's a hundred of them, a hundred companies paid zero tax. So you, myself, everybody here paid more tax than some of these Fortune 500 companies that are making billions of dollars a year. So this is the issue that's being highlighted here. We're not asking, and again, to to align with this is not to uh, go against Islam or Islamic teachings. If anything, you know, we should be like you said. Islam is a religion where we should have rahma and compassion, and this is—it's a communal religion, right? It's not a religion about just yourself. It's a communal religion where society at large is the most important thing. So, when you look and you live in a capitalist society, and we're being taught here, you know, speaking of uh, brainwashing society, we're being taught here that you know every penny you get is your earned money, and nobody should lay their hands on it, and that this is not the teachings of Islam. Right, we should be uh, more than o open to share our wealth with other people, right? And this is not—we're not sharing it with with people who are lazy. We're not sharing it with people who are. This is not the case. These are people who are actually in need. And but so we're sharing it with government, though. Yeah, yeah. Like you're that's not asking us to get charity. That, that, that's Saying that's that the take it before I even get it in my pocket, right? Not even that I get to have it, look at it, and say, "Here's what I'm paying," because this is what I owe the government. You're saying the government should step in. Between me this is, and this, the money that I've the earned, case, though. you're getting taxed on it off. after you, you're getting taxed on it after you've earned it. You're not. This is not going. You know, I, I don't get payroll. The, I, payroll I do get payroll is not yes, but this you're 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 saying this is going straight to government. You know, payroll is not sending your check straight to, to to the Department of Treasury. They're they're you're you're getting your money and then it gets taxed. So the I, that's, is there is there a legitimate is there a legitimate issue is there a legitimate issue on where how the government is going to use that money absolutely but this is again this is what comes with political no, but action. it's not just it's not just that there's a legitimate issue between how they're going to use it like to couch again this is a framing issue to frame it as in rich people should be supporting people who are less fortunate 100% right yes to say that government is the intermediary that's going to handle that is i think beyond naive I think it's closing one's eyes and saying, you know, I don't want to do it directly. Let the government do it. And by the way, even people who are doing really well, like you look at people in Hollywood because they get more exposure. But there's a lot of people that are doctors and that are lawyers and that are professors that they make a good living. They feel the same way. They go, you know, I'm taking my money and I'm spending it and I'm living the lifestyle that I'm living and I have boats and houses and vacation homes. But I still want the government to tax these really rich guys. Right. Because capitalism is bad. And you see it like you literally see people saying this. And um, I this is religion aside. I think that that's just that's it's it's, it's shedding responsibility. Right. It's, it's shifting responsibility to another party. And 
it's it's also kind of intellectually lazy when people who say that i'm not talking about the argument that you're making but this is the argument that a lot of the uh more well-off supporters of these arguments make um as far as religiously permissible um it doesn't matter if somebody is mansa musa right uh there's there still shouldn't be a state that comes in and says you just simply have too much and you don't we don't feel that the the way this is your provision that allah has provided we don't feel that that's right and that it's just in the way that it's going and so we want to take it and and we're going to do better with it which this as, is, this as is, anybody that's yeah. ever lived in, a, in in any country in this world knows you can't trust you cannot trust government entities to do the right thing especially with people's money there's a couple uh points uh just for background for people it is true that Sayyidina Omar cared nothing more than about what he called the stomachs of the poor. And he would always use that phrase. Someone said, why don't you uh, redo the haramain, right? And he said, because I've been busied by the stomachs of the poor that are more deserving of the wealth. So that's one point about Sayyidina Omar. He was literally constantly on his mind is the poor first. The rich did not like him because he did put limits on them for different reasons. Mainly in Medina, he did not like that. He put limits on what they could do, not because for the sake of limiting them, but because it was so close from to the time of the Prophet that he didn't want such luxuries entering into the city. And so they didn't like him for that reason. He put limitations. Now, the listeners might be wondering, how did he pay for these things for the poor? He paid for them from zakah, but also from kharaj. He was a successful, he was a successful conqueror, right? And when you conquer lands and those lands choose to stay not non-believers, you tax their property, you tax their land. So he would have people go out and document the land. And for certain amounts of land, you owe a kharaj, which is a tax. And so that tax goes to the emir, to the Beit al-Mal, and he distributes it to the poor. And he had a diwan listing the names literally of, it's a census, every Muslim that exists in the ummah. And then a methodology of distributing the wealth based upon who the earliest Muslims. So you, you came into Islam earlier, you get you you're at the top of the list, and so on and so forth. The other point that I wanted to make is that um, what Alex was saying is about the about taxation in the Sharia. At least I know in the Maliki Madhab, it is very difficult to justify the government taking a dollar from a person. Even fines, like you, if you litter, $50 fine. If you traffic ticket, $50 fine. Even that would be questionable, right? In the Maliki school, at least I could say, you, the Amir can hit you, but he can't take a dollar from your pocket. So that's the perspective that uh, you're going to find a lot of the fuqaha coming from. The one perspective that the Hanafis may have is that the Hanafi jurist in the time of the Ottoman Empire and we got to look at this, and maybe we need to invite Dr. Rajab Shenturk, because he's the one who, we, I was having a discussion with him, and he said, the Ottomans, Khalifas, they bundled the jizya, they stopped using the word jizya, because they bundled it into the taxes, right? And they did have taxes when they realized the road has to be taken care of, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they, I, I, actually, I don't know much of what the details, but I, we need to probably invite him on and see what did he mean and and what was the justification on fiqh-wise of taxation? Because they realized, let's just have taxation from the people. So there we have to look at it. Like knowing from the Maliki perspective, having talked to scholars, uh, it is forbidden to take a dollar from a person unless it's a dire, dire need, such as 
an invasion. Now, last point I want to make is, well, how, how do you take care of the society? They said a couple things. One thing that's permissible is a, is a luxury tax, such as yachts. Does a human being need a yacht to live? No. Is it even a nice thing to have? No, it's beyond a nice thing to have, right? So you could put a big tax on a luxury tax, which are on a, on a thing like a yacht or a private jet. Like you're that wealthy that you can buy this item. All right, you choose to buy this item knowing that you're going to also help, you know, 10 poor families for a year if you buy this item. And they, those who I talked to uh, agreed that that was actually permissible. And that may be a, a practical method to do things. And the British government's whole welfare system, NHS, not welfare, the medical NHS is based upon, I think they call it VAT, right? It's a luxury tax, essentially. 17% on certain items. And so the, that's one way. A second way is citizens okaf, citizen endowments, where the citizens choose to take care of, let's say, uh, disease, hospitals, right? And the citizens put this stuff up. The third way is religious teaching, right? Religious teaching. And that's a huge thing where when you have a, if you had a guy like Jeff Bezos, and he actually believed in Akhira. How much of his millions would he use to help people? And billions. Mansa Musa, who Alex referred to earlier, many people don't know, was some, some say he was the richest human being ever to live. He was a king of Mali or Sierra Leone or something, right? Uh, where was it? Was it Mali? I think it was Mali. Uh, and he came to Egypt with an army surrounding his gold. And he just distributed gold to the poor he's on his way to hajj in such a way that it actually made the rich of egypt middle class because now there's so much gold in the market right and that's why mansa musa he becomes known as that this uh super wealthy but pious king okay and so we can't we can't have this idea of discussing what we believe without realizing that iman itself is a game changer in these things. And when we put forth our solutions, it's very hard to put forth an Islamic solution to things, you know, assuming people don't have Iman and say, all right, how are we going to do it without Iman? Because if you think about it, that's what we're trying to do. Do we support this taxation? Do we support that? It's almost as if we want to try to achieve the same result, but bypassing the importance of Iman. And I say, we can't. Iman is so important because Iman will tell a person... You know, it create it'll create a culture amongst the rich too. Like the rich amongst themselves, they have a culture, right? They know each other, they're friends with each other, they go on each other's yachts and private jets and they compare and they compete, you know. And but what if the rich, the culture of a, a of of some of the pious rich would be like how many organizations do you have? How many millions of people are eating, you know, from your company because of your company's endowments, right? As opposed to how many sports teams do you own? Do you own a football team? Do you own a soccer team in England? Right? What does your private jet look like? That's the culture of the rich. So that's those are my points where I'm, you know, it's important to keep these things in mind. Moin? So earlier I was going to stop the exchange between Ismail and, and, and Alex there for a minute, but I, I realized that, you know, their exchange is literally exactly the point that I was trying to make earlier, right? Mm -hmm. That this is a spiritual minefield for the common person. Because 
I mean, just listening to both of them, I mean, they're they're valid, good arguments from both sides, right? And unfortunately, the, it's not a reality where you could just, as a normal Muslim, just just ignore all of these issues and you know just continue on with your daily life. I mean, maybe maybe some segments of the population can do that, but most you know most of us can't, right? And so you get entangled in these sort of things. And when you have something like an election coming up. You know, you have coronavirus. The economy is kind of falling apart. These 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 issues come to come to mind. You know, and it's like, okay, where do I stand on these things? And if the and so, for example, let's say me as a common person, I have to think, okay, where am I going to send my kids to school? Right? If if I vote for X, Y, and Z candidate, how, what is going to be the nature of the public school or the local schools or my private school is going to get funding. So all these things matter, right? It's not like uh, you could just say, oh, oh the, these things don't matter to the common person. All of these little things absolutely matter. And it's like, how do we, from a Muslim perspective, simultaneously have grounding in our in our principles and in our faith, while also, you know, disagreeing on certain issues? Like, for example, I don't think it's necessarily like a Muslim thing to be this, you know, socialist, uh, you know, uh, progressive. But I also don't think it's it's a, it's a Muslim thing necessarily to be, you know, a uh, total free market capitalist, which, by the way, does not exist. You know, <laughs> um, uh, so you know, I, I think we have to realize that you can agree to disagree on certain issues while still. Uh, maintaining your faith. I think what Dr. Dr. Shedley said is best. We as Muslims think about these issues with the assumption that we all have iman, right? When you try to bring like non-Muslims into these issues, take the abortion thing. That's the very thing. Important thing. When you when you take Muslims, when you're talking to Muslims about, you know, pro-choice or or pro-life, it's not really we're all pro-life, right? It's like we all believe in the sanctity of life. But it's like okay, now we have to discuss okay certain madhahib because we can actually disagree even in our schools of thought that the hanafis say that okay up to 100 120 days it's 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 maybe makru but it's not haram right so even if you don't agree with it you could say okay you know i place my uh you know uh you know faith in the madhab and and you know i'll 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 I'll, I'll rely on the opinions of the scholars who know better than me. So we have this idea of iman that other people don't have, right? And I think that that's one thing that should absolutely hold us together. Can I just say one one more thing? And I know that uh, I agree that that topics like abortion and gay marriage are not the central issues that of course, are defining people of course. politically. Although we as Muslims focus on them because sometimes we might feel that they're of uh, of moment and consequence um, for our children or our future children. Um, but just on the abortion thing, um, the madhab opinions are also presuming that this is not just happening from zina, right? Of course, yeah. And that it's not happening from a, a a perspective where people go, well, there's human beings, and then there's pre-birth human beings that are not really human; they're just a clump of cells, and we call it a fetus. And it's and and the the language has dehumanized unborn children to that point, right? This is this is like Peter Singer's argument, who's pro-abortion. Peter Singer's argument is that the, the whole framing of there's a fetus and it's not a human being until it's born um, is is actually uh, an, an unrational point of view. It, people use it because it helps their argument, but it's, uh, it doesn't, it's not actually correct. It's not the correct way to view it, but this is how it's assumed, right? So right. the Madahab, when they issued their opinions, when the scholars looked at this, they were thinking about people who were married, people who were 
had taqwa, people who understood the seriousness of these things. And then if there is a reason, then here's what happens. Right? And we can't just copy paste that that those rulings to a society in which marriage is actually uh, looked down upon in many instances. It's definitely not the primary means of sexual in interaction between the sexes. And uh, you know, the 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 when people are having abortions, they're already outside of that framework of marriage. So their rationale, their reasoning, and their motivation may also be affected by the fact that they're not even in a stable relationship with the, with their with their partner. Or yeah. sometimes also by the way, the men the men who would have some 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 murua sometimes and they would care about their children and would, you know, maybe have a stronger opinion. A lot of them don't care because they don't care for the woman that they got pregnant either. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, the, it, we have to put everything into context. And you know what? You ever realize sometimes we corner ourselves in these anachronistic, uh, you know, paradigms. And a lot of people corner us in that and say, oh, okay, well, in this situation, what would Islam do? Wait a second. If Islam doesn't just come down, Islam comes from the people, right, that have Iman slowly over time. So if Islam was to exist and and have a say, or in other words, there would be a Shari-rooted policy, there would have been believers first for a long time. And believers existing for a long time would have totally changed the landscape. So it's it's not it's almost like a spiritual anachronism, right? When someone says, well, what would the Sharia do if it was applied right now? That would never happen. You would need in the world a strong burst of trust in Allah, belief in Allah, of piety, etc. That would completely change the scenario first. Okay. And so anachronistic is when people take, like, say, a, a, something from the past and apply it to the present or vice versa. Like when you have, for example, a king, uh, a comedy of like King Henry, where, what was it? You know, the crazy one is he the eighth or the 14th or something? And he's eating like a Big Mac, right? Because he's sort of. <laughs> he's sort of this like spoiled brat so when you have like king henry eating mcdonald's that's anachronistic right but there's also a type of spiritual anachronism i don't know what the word with that for that would be but it's the assumption of the existence of a spiritual order right away like that where spirituality doesn't operate like that the darkness comes to the light becomes light very slowly and so when we get cornered in this we end up making these absurd statements like oh well the salute if that was Islam was to be this was what would happen, whereas you know that's not even practical. It's not uh, anywhere near what reality would be. So we shouldn't corner ourselves into these into these things because whenever I do this and someone says well what would the Islamic solution be to you know you know pagans right and pagan temples the Sharia says remove the pagan there should be pagan temples. So now if we did that all the you know the Pagans would go crazy and the Indians would go crazy. But that's never going to happen, right? It would never happen that you suddenly get a khilafah ruling over the world as it is today. So you end up making Islam and the Sharia look like something impractical, ridiculous, absurd, and that can never be applied. So that's why it's so much more important to sometimes, you know, forego a discussion and rather go back to the roots of the roots of belief and iman, right? Uh, Ismail? Go ahead, Ismail. Yeah, so uh, I, I do want to go back to um, the earlier point um, that uh, Dr. Shadi made with regards to, um, you know, the, the different views on how 
to distrib redistribute wealth, right? Um, we know that in any society, um, the redistribution of wealth will happen through government. Um, the question is, uh, again, is government reliable enough to redistribute the wealth in a certain way? Um, you know, in, in saying that because government is not going to redistribute wealth correctly, therefore we should continue with our uh, current uh, system is, is not an ideal solution either. We're, we're looking at our current system um, and you see um, mass inequality. Uh, I mean, we're talking about uh, CEOs in, their, in the 1970s, between now and the 1970s, making significantly higher amount of money than um, you know hourly wage workers between then and the same time period. There has been almost very little increase. So we're not, and again, this is not taxing people just because they have so much money. This is not the point that was being made. Um, but rather the point is, like you said, like and like Dr. Shetty said, is there um, things that it's, it's to have, it's just excessive things to have, right? Um, should you be taxed on that? While people, other people are, are are slaving away for your company that gave you that kind of money to have it in the first place, um, you know. And then the other point is relying on the charity of the wealthy. Again, this is a question of iman, right? Whether they believe that they should provide for society. This is not the society that we live in, right? We know that the the ultra wealthy here could care less about the rest of society. Um, they're not going to give their wealth. If anything, we've had, you know, there's been constant fights to hire the minimum wage for companies that are making billions of dollars. They won't even do that. So there's no reason to think that they would, um, you know, on their own, um, redistribute their own wealth for the betterment of society. So the, this is the reason why um, taxation on the ultra wealthy is being pushed. A, because of the fact that they have excessive wealth, but also B, because they're attaining their wealth through the exploitation of the working class. This is not just a matter of, oh, you're really wealthy, give us your money, this is too much to have. This is not the point that anybody's making. Um, this is rather a um, an, an, uh, an ailment of a capitalist society that uh, favors you know, larger profits over the well-being of, of society. Adam Smith is uh, famously one of the fathers of capitalism. He's uh, considered a liberal. Um, and he you know, famously said, if you have to cut wages for workers as much as possible within the legal limitations to make more money, this is what, we, this is what should be done. And this is what we've implemented into the, today's society at every level, from small businesses all the way to larger corporations. So the idea that we shouldn't tax because we can't trust the government, I mean, this is, this is where lobbying political action comes in. Again, it's a stretch, of course. There's no denying that it's a, a bit of a stretch to think that um, you know, society you know, that the government will be swayed by society at large to, you know, redistribute wealth accordingly. But it's better than the current system to at least attempt to do that again. I'll, so, I'll, so, so just, yeah, so the current system is extremely flawed. It is what we see now. You know, I've, I mean, you, you look at, uh, there was just to, just to give an example, somebody was sharing on Facebook during the earlier on the pandemic, a picture of M shelves and said this is what you know because of the the toilet paper shortage and all the you know grocery shortage in general and said this is what bernie's america would look like but it's happening now it's happening in the capitalist society why are we saying that this is going to happen in a in a in a more socialist or more leftist uh, society when it's already happening in the capitalist society uh, it, correct me if i'm wrong um 
we don't live in a capitalist society. I just want to make that clear. 100% we live in a capitalist society. This is 100% a very capitalist society. There's zero argument about that. No, there's, oh, there's argument this, about it. There's, there's definitely there's, argument this about is 100, it. This is 100% a capitalist society. This is a society that uh, this, this, does not... Um, uh, tax the wealthy allows for uh, excessive profit gains does not limit and does not redistribute wealth there are social programs that are in place um, but this is largely no. a capital healthcare is privatized a, transportation putting is privatized. aside putting aside the, the welfare state are you saying that the government does not intervene on behalf of large corporations and 100 percent does and, and, and the government favor. absolutely does and yeah in, in their favor 100 percent. even our military socialism. Our I'm not saying it's socialism. Our military is in support of major corporations. This is not a free market at all. This is a a a crony capital. It's crony, it's crony capitalism. Yeah, it's, it's a corporatist. Capitalism. It's corporatism. That's oligarchy it's, and capitalism. That's like saying that's like saying that that Stalin was socialism point blank, right? Without qualifying it, without pointing out that there was that there that this is far from what socialism, true Marxism would be, right? So to to call the United States capitalism is to call stalinism socialism yeah, point exactly with no qualifiers they're not really equivalent but that's no you're right stalinism was 100 percent worse than what we have today stalinism was way worse than what we have today but he's also not a socialist and saying likewise okay well this is not a capitalist society this is a society, how, how is it not this a is a society this is an oligarchic society yep. this is an oligarchic society in which wealthy people have formed corporations and those corporations have the government in service of their of these oligarchs right this is not capitalism this is not a free market in any way whatsoever it's so difficult for you to open up a business a small business as an individual and compete with the large corporations that have government support you're going to be taxed to death you won't you, the regulatory support won't be in your favor i mean just look at the sec right this is supposed to be a regulatory organization that that is supposed to rein in the banks right and it's the opposite they're hand in hand. I mean, you have people who leave Goldman Sachs and then go work for the SEC. Yep. And this is being appointed by Democrats too, by the way. But this this is the result of capitalism, right? This is this is this is a this and is it's a not. Silence. But capitalism is not government supporting corporations to the exclusion of other comp of other free market competitors. This is not competition. This is not. This is this is regulation in favor of this is oligarchy, which is not free market. Right, but where, yeah. So where do, where does the regulation come from? What what motivates politicians to regulate the I mean, favor of corporations that they're being paid for by by right. the oligarchs? How do you get to that point? You get to that point by being a few a handful of companies that have managed. That point, you get to that point by having government be too large, too powerful, too involved. But it starts it's less it starts with the competitive pool of companies, right? You start with the competitive pool of companies; those that can get that that do well and do well for themselves eventually buy out other companies or or, or you know make it which more is fine for their which is fine as long as the, as long as there's not a government that has enough power to stifle competition but that only happens afterwards that's my but, point so in the capitalist side you paved the way for that and that's always going to happen in a capitalist society you'll never have a capitalist society that and the, and again the government limitations that if you that have a small limit, government example, it won't happen you can't have it if the government is small. The government only becomes big. By the way, the government the government intervenes because they're too big, right? And they're too big because people love to have government involved in every aspect of society. They get sold the idea of regulatory agencies as we're protecting the public. They're not protecting the public at all, right? They're protecting they're protecting monopolies. They're pr protecting the oligarchs that 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 support them, that put them into power. They're employees basically. Like people think. People tend to think of even libertarians, right? So you find libertarians, they go, oh, the problem is big government, it's not corporations. 
they don't realize that the, that the government is just employees of the major corporations. Right. So um, then how do you, how do you tackle that issue? You should have much less government, much less government intervention, which by the way, if you have a smaller government and you defund the government, not defund police, defund all government. If you defund the government, you're now, you're also not going to have money to, uh, you're not going to take tax dollars to funnel that, re redistribute that wealth to McDonnell Douglas to make, uh, you know, fighter jets to get sold to UAE, um, who then goes, thanks for the contract. We're going to normalize relationships with Israel because we were able to get our fighter jets that we're going to use to kill other Muslim, to bomb other Muslim countries, right? This is all hand in hand, but it has to, it, it can only happen when people empower government. Like the government is supposed to be ours. It's not supposed to be, the, it's not supposed to be Israel's. It's not supposed to be APEX. It's not supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, general dynamics is supposed to be our corporation right but it, i mean our our representatives and they're not and so i think the first thing we have to do is try to reduce government to say government is a failure let's apply more government as a solution is i think what what we mostly disagree with people from my mindset is where we're really coming from it's not leftist ideas or right or, or right-wing ideas necessarily it's the idea that the solution to to the most evil entity that has ever existed government big government is to make the government even bigger. Because if we get the right people in there, then they'll do well. I don't think there are the right people. I don't think there is people qualified to have that much power over other human beings. This is, if they were good, pious Muslims, they shouldn't have that much power. We're yeah, talking about is, people who don't even believe in God. I'm in agreement here. And, I, and, and again, this, is, this goes into a whole other conversation of how government was even designed to not necessarily look out for those who are in need. It's designed to you know, favor the wealthy and, and so on and so on. But the question is, now that you do have a big government, how, how would you go about making, you know, go about d diminishing the power of you gotta shrink influence? It. How? So, so <laughs> what is question? So, but. so what feeds the government? What really feeds the government, right? Because the corporations, what they do is they, they fund campaigns. They'll throw a few million dollars and it looks like a lot of money on paper, right? Mm -hmm. They throw hundreds of million dollars but that's got not, that's nowhere near what the budget is, right? All that money is coming from us. All that money is coming from the world. By the way, I, I understand that I don't make as much money as the CEO of a company I might work for. But man, you also don't have to hit me up for another 26%. Like, I'm already not making a lot of money. And his employees in the government are taking, are taking like a quarter of what I make on top of that to help fund things that I'm completely against against my will. And by the way, always on the argument of what well, we're doing it for social programs. Do you see how small the social programs are compared to everything else that you're running? Right, Give me and, even, and even the things that we think are okay, like the Department of Education. What does the Department of Education actually do? They don't pay the teachers, by the way. They don't fund the schools. They're a multi-billion dollar federal agency that just sets rules and uh, penalizes schools for not following certain rules. And it's billions of dollars of taxpayer money going to that. Um, and we see also how dangerous it is to have large government and to have that much power in government when you get somebody like Donald Trump in, when you get somebody like Betsy DeVos in, uh, appointed as head of, of, of a multi-billion dollar agency, it wreaks havoc. And the only reason they can do it is because they have that much power in the first place. Like, right. I, I, I get it. I know that it's also an idealist solution to be like, we should think. No, no. And again, we're not, I don't think we're, we're going to come up with uh a practical solution for the American government. I mean, this is a, I mean, there's so much that needs to be 
you know, disseminated in order to reach a practical solution. Um, but I, I, I want to fall back to what um, Dr. Shetty said about um, the redistribution of wealth during, say, Naomi's time or even during the Ottoman time. Now, this is, these are falling back on Islamic models. Let's let's go with Sayyidina Omar's time, you know, since he was one of the Khulafat Rashidun, right? So he falling back. How would you fall back on that model? Again, this is not an Islamic society. So this is also another thing that we should take into account when we are voting or even or not voting even, or if we're pushing or, you know, in, involved in activism with certain policies here in the United States. We can't necessarily look at it strictly from a vacuum of this is what hap should happen in an Islamic model, so we should try to implement it here. But what we should be working towards is pushing uh, policies towards what as closely benefits the general population within Islamic means as much as possible. Um, so looking at today's society, I don't see a way where, you know, say Naomi's model of redistribution of wealth would actually, you know, happen here, obviously. But if you were to look at the same model where he did tax people and he did collect zakah and he collected jizya and then redistributed that wealth, how would you, um, you know, go about, you know, tackling that issue? See, that's the thing where I would actually think that the question is incorrect or invalid, let's say, right? Reason being is that in order for any Sharia root-based solutions to, to be implemented, it would have been preceded by decades of belief in Allah, right? Decades of, or hundreds of thousands of believers, okay? That would have changed the landscape, then changed the mentality of people to begin with, right? It would have transformed everything. So the situation would not be what it is now. It's almost like saying, what happens, you know, what would your life be like today if you were, if like Ismail Khatib, what would Ismail Khatib's life be like right now if he was a woman, right? Well, I mean, the whole setting would be completely different, right? You wouldn't have, probably you would have completely went to a different, had different friends, different interests, everything. So in the same way, that whole question, I would even venture, maybe it's even an invalid question, right? I think it may even do us more of a disservice than anything else because it would, it could appear absurd, right? Allah Adam, but it could appear absurd that, you know, and if there was ever a day in which we had the opportunity to impose our will and make decisions, between now and that day, so much will have changed that even if we had answered it in 2020, by the time that happens in 2050, that answer would be irrelevant. You know what I Sorry, mean? I just had to, uh, I, that was me ringing right. the gender bell because oh. what if you were a woman? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, like it's almost like um, life is so uh, connected that it's impossible to just say, what is this pie of life look like if you had just removed one piece and added another piece? That removal and addition would have changed the whole pie. Right. You know? and, so that's and... Because it's, I, I'm saying this after many years of realizing that when people ask that question, all right, how would Sharia do this? It would just, this, the answer always seems to be almost like absurd, right? Right. So th this 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 is kind of what I was trying to get at, you know, and with, with all the points that I'm making, we... Because again, our conversation here is, is tying back to how we as Muslims should should survive in this landscape, right? Yeah. Um, 
we we we're not living in a state in an Islamic state of of any kind um, where it's a largely non-Muslim population. Mm-hmm. So do should we still be looking at? Of course, Islam is the central uh, part of our our personal lives as well as communal lives. Um, but when we're looking at these policies, when we're looking at these social issues, uh, economic issues, for example, uh, taxation or or even other social issues should we look at it as how it improves the the society right now currently or should we constantly fall back on uh, islamic tradition and say well no this is not how the prophet sallallahu would have done it or how uh say Omar or say Bakr would have done it you know should we look at within the current vacuum of american society and we say okay let's just hypothetically say um, you know, a, a minimum wage increase in the minimum wage is a good idea, or that taxing the ultra wealthy is a good idea. Now, should we look at that and say, "Oh no, but that doesn't fall within the realm of what we've seen in Islamic history," so therefore we shouldn't apply it? If we, even though we see that it does, in fact, let's again hypothetically, in fact, does improve, um, you know, segments of of society that are in need. Mm-hmm. I, I have a different take on uh, on those those that methodology and. One of the things, like one of my favorite hobbies to do is to coach. So on Saturday and on the middle of the week, so like I'm a coach, right? And when when we do these things, we never do something in the game that we haven't mastered in practice, right? Because it's risky. It's just stupid to do that. So likewise, I don't necessarily look at any theoretical issue unless I've seen if I could apply what I've applied to it in a micro level. Right. So uh, you, let's talk about social welfare. We want to help and feed the, the poor. Well, we have poor here in New Brunswick. Right. Have we fed any of them? Why would we talk about even the topic of wealth distribution at the national scale? When we haven't done it in, in the MBIC scale. Right. So that is not satisfying to many you know, people and academics, because they want an answer. But I would say to those academics, and it's not like what you're saying, but some academics, I would say to them, or not just academics, people who think this is just gymnastics, intellectual gymnastics, because the real question is, if I'm ever going to even think about doing it on the whole the scale of the country, let, let's see if I have done it on the scale of a town, right? And that's why, that's how I look at things. It's like I'm not even going to entertain the, uh, the 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 concept of an Islamic state when I don't even know if I have an Islamic household, right? <laughs> Think about this: How many of us say we have an Islamic household, right? Uh, okay, you have an Islamic household. Do you have an Islamic mosque? There, there's masajid. Is is everyone up practicing Sharia in your mosque? Let alone having a state. So, are we going to feed everyone and and wealth distribution in America? I haven't even done it in New Brunswick, right? I, you know, I don't know if that's it. I know for sure it's not satisfying to some people, but to me it's very satisfying because there's no point in a discussion that can't be acted upon. And there's no point in action in a big level if you haven't done it in the small level, right? You know what I mean? So that's why it always ends up being tied back to action and it's action being either relief work or advocacy. I don't I do much with advocacy, but I do a lot uh, you know, with relief work. And we have our little program and, you know, a f- bunch of guys trying to get something going together uh, in New Brunswick to, to, for that's our, that is wealth distribution. If you think about it, Hey guys, 
put a container of your leftovers, bring it on Friday, and we distribute it to the poor. Uh, that's, that's actual wealth distribution, which to me is more impactful than the discussion on wealth distribution, right? So, you know, you, you can give me your takes on that, but that's how I always look at it from what's actually happening in on the ground is far more satisfying to me than the theory of what could happen and what we should support and not support. A point I want to make here. And uh, so I I do have a background in economics and I didn't get involved in that discussion for a number of reasons. The the primary being that within, you know, 30 to 40 minutes, we're not going to cover the nuances of economic theory, right? We're not. (laughs) Like, I mean, once you start dropping, like, you know, Adam Smith and like, you know, the the hand of society, like the, these types of things, we're not going to get into the nuances of these things. And, and, and no matter what topic you pick, you're not going to get into it. And unfortunately, the common person is only going to hear tidbits of information like this on, you know, MSNBC, Fox News, whatever outlet on some, some random person's tweet, right? Like, Ismail and Alex and you know like us folks on the podcast I know we do read these things and I'm sure many of our listeners do as well and they're much more well read than 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 you know um you you have to be well read on this stuff otherwise you're not even going to understand the nuances the point being is these aren't issues that you can cover you know it's like oh this is what like for example I dropped this term that you know America is not uh capitalist and and you do, you automatically get this trigger reaction, but the truth is that the the that it lies somewhere in the middle, right? It's like how do you define these terms? How do you understand uh, the epistemology of where these like uh, where this knowledge even comes from? And so it's it all comes back to that. And uh, this entire conversation is really has just been an experiment of mine to prove that this is literally a spiritual minefield and and so when the then the common muslim tries to navigate these issues it's like okay you know what am i supposed to do now tell me understanding all of that you know this this, this discussion of wealth distribution where do i send my child to school you know like <laughs> So, like, where, where where am I? Where should I go? Uh, you know, to 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 deal with fiqh matters, things like that. So, Alex, you had a point. Go yeah. Ahead. So, I'm going to answer your question about where you send your kid to school. <laughs> I mean, I'm just it's just an example. But. And and then I'm just going to make a, a small comment on what you said. The first the first thing is, uh, you know, if you can afford it, send your kid to a good private school. You know, it's going to give them uh some, a leg up, uh, and uh, depending on what it is that they want to do. Um, maybe send them to a school that follows the international baccalaureate uh, uh, curriculum model, right? Where by the time they're getting out of high school, their their last year, two years, they can choose whether they want to get some professional experience like through internships, paid internships, or if they really want to prep for a college model and then they can get, you know, advanced college classes, take AP classes and stuff. Um, that's what you should be looking at or homeschooling, you know, if possible. Um as for what you said, I agree with you 100%, right? And, and not only are we not going to cover it in a podcast, we're not going to cover it in uh, a, an entire election cycle of, nope. of and we're not going to cover it in four years between elections on Twitter. We're not going to cover it, <laughs> right? So my only comment on it is whatever, whatever your position is, whatever your strongly held position is, A, 
keep getting more informed as read as much as possible read uh stuff that's different from what you think is 100% uh gospel truth um in terms of politics and economics um and i say that as somebody who grew up in a union household um with parents who were strongly supportive of the cuban revolution um with who for most of my life uh i considered myself a very hardcore leftist as in i was looking at democratic candidates and going these guys are just republicans mm-hmm. um with a d in f- behind their name right like they're not left they're nowhere near left leftist enough for me um but you you have to be willing to keep exploring and learning um and that applies to people who agree with me maybe they maybe the more they learn the more enlightened they get and they might completely disagree with me but whatever you do wherever you end up on that position or wherever you currently are in on on the spectrum or however you want to cl- classify politics um always know that islam is number one, um and your your connection to your muslim brothers and sisters supersedes their political views the same way that it should supersede what team they like in the nba or even though the consequences are slightly greater in politics mm-hmm. it sh- it still should be more important to you than uh the, you know your your shared religion and your shared uh world view should be more important to you than whether or not you agree on politics and you should you should have um deep respect and love for one another regardless of how strongly you disagree on uh this worldly stuff does it <laughs> that was great um any final points i i'm not, i think we might be able to wrap up here i mean uh, ismail what did you what do you think of this uh you know that because you're you're an ideas guy and you like to talk about these ideas and discuss them, which is why we're here since we go the lunch after Juma, uh, and you'd be coming with us and 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 you're and you're good at these types of discussions. But this attitude of uh, looking at at our feet and looking at what could actually be done versus actual discussions on the theoretical of things. Now, I don't like I don't mind discussing the theoretical of things for certain times, but I always feel that Islam asks us what have you done and I'll, or i should say allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask us on yom al-qiyamah what have you done right where's the amal based upon this or malik's statement whenever question he received a question as uh has it happened right ask me when it happens right or or is there action upon this so that's where i come from and i'm i'm sure that you know certain you know intellectuals maybe you know, political scientists or what have you would be sort of ups- disappointed with that or upset with that. But I wanted to get, you know, what you what your take was on that. Uh, are you asking from politically or? No, just like personally as like, or, or a response. Well, how would someone take what I'm saying and how would they respond to it? Yeah, I mean, from the, a lot of, a lot of what's being advocated politically, um, with I'm going to go with specifically what we've discussed here. Um, these are things that have been, again, you're talking about doing things on a, on a micro level yeah. and doing things in, within society. Uh, many of these ideas have been, uh, you know, tried and tested on, on micro levels, you know, the, whether you're on the right or on the left, people didn't just come up and say, this is an idea I have. Let's imply, apply it nationally. Um, even if you look at Obamacare, for example, he he took that idea from, um, or at least inspired his thought from Mitt Romney, who applied it in Massachusetts on a state level, um, and that's where he got kind of got his idea from that. Um, so definitely, um, 
you know, I, again, I uh, follow a number of organizations. Uh, one example that I want to give is for, there's an organization called the Democratic Socialists of America, largest one of the largest socialist organizations in the United States. Um, they push for uh, thousands of um, provisions in their municipalities, in their states. Um, and so if, you know, if you were to go through their platform and see um, the kinds of things that they've pushed for, the working with unions, working with um, uh, companies for minimum wage, um, the DSA was one of uh, the big organizations that pushed uh, Amazon to increase in their minimum wage, things like that. Um, you'll see that they've done many, many things on a, on a micro level. Um, and that's why they always tell you also it's significantly more important to vote in you know, municipal and state elections over the presidential election. Um, and there is some truth to that because you know, a lot of these um, issues that uh, society faces, facing it uh, can be changed at a municipal level. Um, so that's in terms of you know, talking about the amal, this is where uh, I think that comes into play, you know, doing things on a micro level. But you were saying, for example, you know, MBSC has poor people to feed, right? And and so if you gather, you know, uh, food as the masjid and go and distribute it, uh, you're you're a nonprofit organization. You only have so much bandwidth to do that. You can't um, necessarily feed people for all three meals every single day for the rest of their lives. Uh, so the onus should not be on you to do it if you do it. That's that's all extra good deeds, alhamdulillah. And if, uh, but it, there there should be, for example, instead of pushing on a national level, we should push at a local level. Push with the city of Nantes, um, you know, house the homeless, for example, house people who are poor and provide them with, you know, a basic income, or try to find them uh, have a, a an employment program, which many uh, states and towns do have employment programs. So these these are kind of uh, on a micro level the kinds of. Um, action that there, sh that there should be and a lot of uh, organizations are already involved in. Um, but we shouldn't put the weight on nonprofit organizations and NGOs to fix society for us. Um, this is something that should be done at, um, you know, at a more uh, organized level with whether it's through government or through, um, you know, lobbying for, for significant change at a municipal level or uh, at a state level as well, and then applying that on a mass scale to well, it's the national level or so on. So a lot of these policies that are being pushed um, now are were tried and tested on um, a local oh, level in many in many states and cities. Um, you know, California is a good example where a lot of this uh, stuff was successfully done, uh, but they're also significantly more liberal state. So there's you know uh, much easier for these things to get to get done. Um, but you know we should be careful also that if we're not so much in agreement with the left that we shouldn't find ourselves falling and and you know repeating the narrative of the right either. Um, they're not particularly people who are fond of us as Muslims or or as as people of color and so on. So I think that's where a lot of Muslims um, might find themselves falling sometimes is to kind of fall into uh, this you know scary slippery slope of you know parroting or kind of being somewhat in agreement with people who you know will come after us next once they're finished with the with with the, with the left right they're not particularly fans of us just because we're also people of god we're completely two different peoples of god you know so can i you ask know, you a quick question about this just on that yeah. point um yeah. the left i i know that they that there's um there's de they're definitely more open-minded there's less xenophobia um however would you would you say that on the left Muslims are really accepted as Muslims? No, or absolutely not. 
Okay, because I think I that's, that's, why, that's why I'm trying, to, I'm trying to say we we should we should be agreeing with good ideas, but we don't have to align ourselves with that particular group. I like I said before went live. I'm not by any means uh, significantly leftist or liberal socially, right? Um, I agree with a lot of the economic policies that the left uh, uh, proposes, but socially, you know, there's a lot of things that you know that are in you know concrete disagreement with what I believe. Sure. So, and again, there's also a lot of racism on the on on the left as well. That's kind of coded. In way and it's the you know it's not as outright as what we see on the right obviously so this there there there's both sides are very much guilty of, of this in, in different capacities so by no means i'm not saying that um that we should identify with the left but we should also be wary that while we're criticizing one side that we don't see ourselves falling into the other so even if we're heavily criticizing the right we shouldn't fall so much to the left and, and vice versa and i think this is something i've seen with the muslim community is that um, with issues like, and I want to open a whole other can of worms here, but issues like Black Lives Matter and things like that, we, a lot of Muslims, surprisingly so actually, and, and, and find ourselves disagreeing with, not with the, with, not just with the organization, but with the movement, the idea of Black Lives Matter, a lot of Muslims disagreeing with that and thinking that this is not as much of a big of an issue as, as we think it is, which is uh, scary to think. And, and we see people who would, you know, uh, revere and, and praise Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali and, and MLK, and then in the same breath, uh, talk about how the Black Lives Movement today is very corrupt. When and you, when you see people like that, it, it makes you wonder whether they would have actually ever supported these figures if they were there at that time either. So we need to make sure that if we're critical of one thing, that we're not falling all the way to the other thing. We need to keep ourselves, you know, in, in, in the middle, and and. Again, it's rooted, rooted and grounded in Islam, obviously, first and foremost. Um, but we can take good ideas from other... This is the history of Islam is, is also about taking good ideas from, from other civilizations, from our architecture to our education to our sciences to everything, right? Through the food we, to the languages that we speak. Everything throughout Islamic history is about taking good ideas and it doesn't it doesn't this this you know living in the united states is not an exception to that it might be hard to find some good ideas but but it's it's there there are good ideas and we just need to make sure that we're not falling too much on one on either way side so so I'll, my last statement will just be that i think that this 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 is exactly the point but it also is why we return to the the, the thing that we started with which is how does this fall into an islamic paradigm you know what 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 does the sharia say or what does islam say or what would what is the ruling of Allah and His Messenger on this? And He said to Salam, because what's a good idea is uh, something that could be up for uh, disputation. It is. So, what's a good idea depends on your background, your ability to understand things, how much reference points you have, which is, goes back to Dr. Shadi's first point. This is an epistemological issue, um, and that's that's why that's and you know our 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 criteria is Islam, obviously. So that that's why that falls first and foremost always in our uh, our assessment of these things, and uh, I'll leave it at that because we've been going for a while anyway. Yeah, and and you know what, uh, when Ismail is basically saying that yeah we hate or triggered by a lot of things from the left, and there are some things from the left that we have to actually be fair about and realize that are okay. But one of the things we're really not sophisticated of is in our voting and our democracy is not sophisticated at all. We have the technology. It exists to parse up issues for a person to say, yeah, I want this issue. I want to vote this way on this issue. And I want to vote the opposite way on the opposite issue. Instead, we have this two. Everything's lumped, right? 
you either want the seafood package or the you know the surf package and the turf package, right? But what if I want lobster, but I want the French fries, right? <laughs> and not the garlic biscuit, right? So it's almost like we're being forced, but we have the technology and the ability to to get people to identify who they are and to vote instead of for the person with all of their lump, right? Like the left with their support of the poor and their gender uh, agenda. Why do I, am I forced into this, right? We're not, we don't have the capacity to, to splice it up where we could actually, where the citizens could actually vote. And this is what one of Plato's critiques of, of democracy was that its application is not even going to, not going to happen that you're going to get real consent from people. Alex? You mean you want direct democracy? Direct democracy, right? Do, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I hate think, to sound the elitist, but are you sure? <laughs> think about this. Think about this. We got to vote for an entire package, right? Essentially. Sheikh, but for you to get your vote and for me to get my vote and for Spain to get his vote, it means that everybody gets their vote yeah. on every single issue. Well, I mean, we would be, we would all be, I'd be deported even though I was born here and I don't have anybody <laughs> to be deported to. <laughs> yep. But if, if they were to say to you, look, instead of blue candidate, red candidate, you have just this issue. Oh, if you, you have, if you have multi-party system where you have parties that actually are more nuanced, right? Um, and, and then once they get elected, they're going to have to form coalition governments so that there's people who will push, like you'll have a Green Party that actually has enough seats in a parliamentary system where they can actually have some influence. Mm -hmm. And then you have, uh, you know, a, a Labour Party. Um, and then you also have like a, 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 a Likud type racist nationalist party, but they get yeah. a seat or two, right? That, that, would, that might be a, a more tenable situation than what we have now, which is basically winner, winner takes all. Yeah, um, and, and, yeah. Which is and a little crazy. As crazy as this sounds, what if this is totally crazy now? But uh, what if government were administrators of the people's vote, and then an issue would be put forth for a referendum, and then the country well, the, votes, yeah. right, or the state votes? And so you have I, that on a state level. You have that on a state, and, yeah, and when you get your ballot, you, they give you provisions. Each state has different provisions, but to do it on a national level, that's all other conversation. But you do have that to some degree. Yeah, so that's what I'm talking about. Like a referendum, yeah. like a, uh, on this one issue of abortion is different issue from gun control. Is a different issue from you know uh, uh, police defunding of the police or or decreasing their funding. Different issue from you know whatever climate. Different issue from gender. Different issue from bathrooms. Everything's a different issue. And take a referendum on every issue rather than lumping us all and having to either be Trump or AOC. Which I, right, I yeah. think AOC is is more on fire than Harris or Biden, right? And has probably has a bigger following, a real following. Biden has an institutional following, right? So, and anyway, but I don't want to support either one of them, right? Because they're going to also have in, in their package something I don't like. So this is talfiq, right? <laughs> 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 like we say in fiqh, you're going to be Hanafi or Shafi. Don't play games. But in this one, I want to play games. I don't want. I don't want uh, one red or blue. You know, mine will be red and then blue and then red and blue, and it'll be magenta at the end of the day, right? But so, or maybe green too. So, isn't it's doesn't sound like a better idea than voting for a person? Is constant referendums on issues driven by technology? I mean, but right? Not matter. not showing up to a poll, 
not mailing in a ballot on technology the same way that I can go into my bank and Wells Fargo has a technology to make sure that only me is in the bank, right? Uh, uh, in my online banking, we can't do that for voting. I mean, that's a whole nother issue about hacking and everything, but in a sci-fi, you know, Netflix original, <laughs> uh, isn't that a better future than this ish, this, this dumb way of voting for human beings? It's constantly voting on issues. I think most most Americans would agree with that that the two party system does not work for most of them. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm completely with you there. That there's there's not really much about either party that I would you know hold you know you that I would never take the entire even that party. Work. There's yeah. only one. There's only one thing that works. <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah, let me tell you. A benevolent dictator. Yeah. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. Right. That's correct. I'm 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 hundred percent for 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 non-participatory political activity and and shrinking the government until we have a benevolent dictator who's on the Quran and Sunnah uh -huh. and hand it over and you hope that yeah. Allah keeps him keeps him righteous and if not that he strikes him dead and replaces him with somebody better. Yeah. <laughs> there, that, that's or, or, or at least a small council elected by the ulama. Look, yeah. look. The Check same people that are watching, that are binging Netflix, should not be, you know, voting on know. on issues, including myself. Because <laughs> uh, right, they're going to vote for a machine. They're going to vote for machines <laughs> to rule us. <laughs> Moin, check this out. Uh, restaurant business has completely changed. I know we have to go because it's been a long time, but this is really interesting. After COVID, of course, we know that restaurants got hit bad, right? So, which restaurants survived? The ones that are on Uber Eats and yep. that are that have drivers basically to to, to do their thing. So now the new thing is this cloud restaurant, which is basically you go to a warehouse and the in the warehouse, there are a ton of kitchenettes. I thought about opening one, actually. Yeah. And there's a dude who is doing the interface for that restaurant for, for the whole thing. And so you can go to Mariano's Pizza that there's no physical location for Mariano's Pizza, your favorite pizzeria. It's just he's got a little a corner in a warehouse and he makes his pizza next to him is a little KFC. Next to the KFC is Chipotle. Next to the chi and so on and so forth. So like so a terminal? It's like a terminal, exactly. Like a food right. court? It's a no, food court. You don't go there. It's more of a terminal like Reading Terminal or But you don't go there. You don't go there. You don't eat no. there. You just deliver oh, from Oh, okay. It's all delivery. Uh, so no. your local Mariano pizza uh, shop, he doesn't host hot customers anymore. It's the same dude. He doesn't host customers anymore. It's all through Uber Eats, right? And they yeah. save so much on the space but they get the same amount of people because no one wants to go who today has to go to pick up the idea of going to pick up your food at the your pizza anymore is over all through uber eats right so now the next generation of this is where the uber eats says you know what instead of each of you guys having your own website we'll have the website and now what if i want a slice of mariano's pizza but my son wants a chipotle my wife wants a pad thai and the Uber Eats warehouse, right? It's one website and I can pick a la carte because before this, the question in the house is, all right, where are we going to get food? Because I'm only going to one place. I'm not going to two places, right? I'm going to go to Chipotle or I'm going to go to Mariano's Pizza or I'm going to go to Galore, Chicken Galore, right? I'm going to get or I'm going to go to Hamdi's one place and everyone has to settle for that place. But now... I can go to the website and say, oh, I want a slice of pizza. I want Hamdi's cheeseburger. I want a Chipotle and all of it's going to come. 
We need the politics version of that. I want to be, let's say, pro-gun. Pro-gun, anti-racism, right? Um, I want Mexicans to come in and live a good life. I want, uh, you know, I want, I want criminals executed, right? I'm, 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 I'm flexible on the border. Why should they not live a good life? Let them come and live a good life. We need them, right? I want people executed who commit crimes. So my, my agenda is my own unique Al-Masri agenda, right? Yeah. I, I see where you're coming from, Sheikh. Yeah. I was going to jump in and say that this Uber Eats model that you were promoting, I was going to play the role of DSA voter and say, yeah. you know, that gig economy is terrible for the drivers. Like they're working, they're working so hard and making like no money. I'm not. Oh, sure. yeah. <laughs> Especially if now you're sending them to like three different places for one family. Yeah. Well, now he's going to one warehouse. All yeah. of the joints are in the same warehouse now. Right. Still, still terrible for him. It's terrible uh, for him. But I'm not. I'm not for this model. Why? And secondly, uh, I'm sorry. S mm, secondly, restaurant or politics? Restaurant. I don't care about the politics. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I like the restaurant idea. Well, it's good for the consumer. It's bad for the producer. Yeah, that's true. Okay, uh, Alex. What do you in think terms of this? in terms of in terms of politics? Um, yeah, I mean that's fine. I, I think that that's that seems like an okay idea. Yeah. Except. Uh, you know, I would just disagree with you on the execution. Although Islamically, I'm capital punishment is legitimate, right? Um, it's the and I think in, I think incarceration is totally illegitimate. Totally, you should never incarcerate people. Yes, totally, yes, at, at totally. worst, yeah. some corporal punishment and send them back to the community. Don't rob communities of fathers, brothers, husbands, sons. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. It's it's incredibly wrong. Yeah. That said, um, I don't want this government. Uh, administering executions of yes, anyone. I was going to say. Because yeah, that's fine. This I is the wrong that's government. Just to do it. That's just an example. That's just an yeah, example. Yeah. Yeah, this, this, this is in, a, in the assumption that there's a just, uh, you know, a, pro a good justice yeah. system that'll well, actually is, get the right yeah. people. But this is not. This the returns case to, to 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 my core argument, which is, by the way, which is why I am for 100% open borders. Mm -hmm. I don't think that this government should be administrating an imaginary line across uh, a territory. Yeah. That used to have different imaginary lines. Exactly. Um, exactly. Like well. like. Uh, like but then I'm also for Murabitun, if you have an Islamic state standing mm -hmm. standing at the towers and making sure that that the our borders are protected as Muslims, right? So mm -hmm. politics can shift depending on uh, the situation on the ground. Uh, yeah, um, and and if you go ahead, finish what you say. No, that's it. And if you want to get something on board, you need like let's say one third of the populace, a hundred million people, right, to sign off on it that they want it, everything online, okay. They want it, and then it becomes a national referendum, and you have twenty. Everyone's got you know two a week to vote if they want it to happen or not. When we when you watch you know when you when you look at the future, everything is sophisticated in the future. Everything is driven by online. Everything is a la carte. Everything is specific. Okay. And directed to the individual, except our politics. We have to go through these stupid lumps of red team, blue team. And no one's happy. Literally, nobody's happy. Okay? So why don't we... This is the real revolutionizing of our politics. Right? If 100 million people come up with a referendum, that's one-third of the population, we all have to vote. Right? Or abstain. Yeah. I think, I think Sheikh, if you did that, given the current political climate and political level of political education, you will end up with a with the, the 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 weirdest thing you've ever imagined, which is like a narco Marxism. Yeah. Right? So like people will be like, I want drugs legalized, <laughs> legalized, 100%. Uh, no gun control, 
no no government intervention, no wars, no okay. foreign intervention, no borders, and also high taxation mm -hmm. and uh, social programs across mm -hmm. the board. You know what we'll end up with? If true democracy ends up in a in a bad system, then what you end up with is that the masses truly have become a source of tyranny and pain, and the people by themselves will choose a dictator. So they eventually, will, it comes down to a benevolent dictator. They will, well, <laughs> benevolent or not, Socrates has said it. Socrates said it. Yeah, Socrates said it. He said, "The more you go, the more you give human beings choice, the more the eventually the masses will become corrupt. They will be the source of the problem." People will choose the opposite. They will want, let yep. me just relax my head. Instead of all this individual saying things, let the one guy be good, bad, or ugly. At least I don't have to worry about it now because it's all in the hands of, it's out of our hands. And the tyranny of the masses, I believe that's where we're going. I believe we're going to the tyranny of the masses because if you look at academia, they totally, it's fascist. It's woke fascism. If you look at the media is following them, big business is following them, Hollywood's following them, all of that stuff is, it's woke fascism, right? You cannot say certain things. And once enough Americans start feeling the pain of the masses, like the, this is oppression, then you're going to start seeing them support a dictator. And it's already happening. They are supporting Trump, right? And they're willing for him to be the dictator, right or wrong. They're willing. If you t if you tell Trump supporters you got two options on November third, he Trump loses but democracy survives, or Trump wins and democracy <laughs> is over. Right? <laughs> they will choose. They'll choose to, uh, Trump over democracy. Of course, they will. One hundred percent. Yeah. Be because way, they've this seen. Is, <laughs> this is why I support Jeremy, the comedian Jeremy McClellan's uh, tweet about uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah. He said that she should she should get appointed. And then the next opening, her husband should get appointed. He's also an attorney. <laughs> yeah. And then each opening that happens, they should appoint one of her seven children. Yeah. <laughs> the whole Supreme Court will be the, the Barrett family. Yeah. And they can nullify the Constitution and appoint a Catholic monarch. Yeah, that's what <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right, guys, I, I think we should wrap it up. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this was a great episode. Jazakallah uh, khairan, Ismail, for you know joining us. I apologize for, uh, for any... Uh, any ill, <laughs> no, no, not any a ill for many of us. Good discussion. No, that wasn't. And yeah, you brought some, uh, some, a lot of good things to the table. And my whole spiel at the end there about that true democracy, I'm just like, you know, it's a brainstorm. Obviously, it's not the ideal of what we would say in in, in the dean, but given the world that we have, if you want to have democracy, then that would be to me the right way to do it. It's By definitely issues. better than what we have. Yeah, sure. yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Next so. episode, we talk about the solo. All right, folks. Jazakumullah khairan. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu aminu al-salihat. Wa tawasub al-haq. Wa tawasub al-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Alaykum salam. من تذكر جيران بذي سلامي مزجت دم عن جرى من نقلات بدمي الحمد لله منش الخلق من عدمي 
ثم الصلاه على المقتار في القدم مولايا صلي وسلم دائما ابدا على حبيبك خير الخلق كلهم مولايا صلي وسلم دائما ابدا على حبيبك خير الخلق كلهم محمد سيد الكونين وثقالين محمد سيد الكونين وثقالين والفريقين من عرب ومن عجم محمد فخر عالم بادشاہ انسجا سرور کونین سلطان عرب شاہ عجم وہ محمد فخر عالم بادشاہ انسجا سرور کونین سلطان عرب شاہ عجم ایک دن جبریل سے کہنے لگے شاہ امم تم نے دیکھا ہے جہاں بتلاؤ تو کیسے ہیں ہم عرض کی جبریل نے اے شاہ دیئے محترم آپ کا کوئی مماثل ہی نہیں رب کی قسم مولا یا صلی وسلم دائما آبادا على حبیبی کا خیر الخلق کلی ہے